Blog Talk Radio. Trudy Behrman here, and I am coming to you from beautiful Jamaica, and uh, yes, I am having some technical challenges to create a live show this morning. I wasn't sure if that was going to be the case, so I did say last week in the live show that if that was the case, that I would be replaying last week's show. Now, 704 of you have already listened to last week's show, so it seems like this is definitely a topic of interest. And, you know, please share the show with others because this is this is the foundation of the rest of the series. So should tithing remain an Old Testament thing? And if, if not, why are churches insisting on it now? So listen in and be blessed. Thank you. So if you are heading off to church this morning, here is something for you to think about. Many Christians believe strongly in tithing. That's giving, oftentimes, at least 10% of your income to the church. But a new survey says the majority of evangelical leaders believe that tithing is not required by the Bible. The survey was conducted by the National Association of Evangelicals and among its 100-member board of directors. And you see here that 58% believe tithing is not required. 42% believe the Bible does require church members to do so. You can imagine this survey created a bit of a stir. So joining us this morning, Leith Anderson, who's president of the National Association of Evangelicals. There he is. He's with the group that conducted that so- survey. He's also senior pastor of Whitdale Church. That's in Minnesota. Sir, good morning to you. And also joining us, Brian Kluth. He's also a pastor and strong believer in tithing. He's also written a best-selling book, A 40-Day Spiritual Journey to a More Generous Life. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here. Uh, Mr. Anderson, let me start with you. What does the Bible say about tithing? Well, in the Old Testament, tithing was frequent and it was popular. It was actually required. But in the New Testament, there really isn't much of any mention at all about tithing. And it's the New Testament that is the primary giving guide for modern-day Christians. So it sounds like if we go by that, then tithing necessarily is not required by the Bible. Am I hearing you correctly? Well, the key word there is required. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, 95% of those that responded to our survey said that they at least tithe. They give 10% or more. So <clears throat> they do tithe, even though they think that it's not a requirement. All right, let's uh, put up for our viewers here a uh, particular scripture. Uh, this one comes from Malachi. I'm going to read it here as I, I get ready to come to you here, Mr. Kluth. And it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Now, you are a strong believer, Mr. Kluth, in, uh, in tithing. So how much would you say should one give to the church? Well, the reality for me is I've just discovered that in our society, you know, giving has been going down for 40 years. And so I just think there's a, we're at a time when people need to be called to giving 10% or more of their income to God's work. And I believe that's the church and ministries, charities, and the needy. All right. And I guess a lot of people say 10%. 
but can people give of the church and tithe in ways that aren't monetary? Does it also count if you give of your time in some way? Well, the reality is, is we're supposed to be giving our time, our talent, our treasure. But I don't really think that you can separate out the whole idea of giving to God and not do it financially. Uh, people do give their time, and that's so important. But when they, when they don't give of their income and their finances and their financial blessings, I think they miss out. And I think they are missing what God would really have for them. Now, Mr. Anderson, let me bring you back in because a lot of people do this, do this um, and forgive me for saying it this way, but they do it religiously. They really do tithe. And they, they, they think the way that Mr. Kluth just described, that they are missing out on something from God or they're not doing what's required of them, quite frankly, by a law that's in the Bible. What would you say to someone heading to church this morning uh, besides making their own personal choice, but some people might frankly be fearful that they are missing out on some blessings from God if they don't do what they believe uh, Mr. Kluth has told them they should do. Well, I would say for those that tithe and are going to tithe the church today, good for you. That's just great. The New Testament in Second Corinthians says that we should give as we have been blessed. So we've been blessed a lot. And uh, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that in many cases we should give far more than 10%. Uh, I know a friend who uh, decided early in marriage that he would increase his family's giving 1% per year, and they've been married now for 30 years, so way beyond any 10%. That's really great, but it's out of delight and joy and generosity and gratitude to God who gave to us first. Well, Mr. Kluth, let me ask you as well, because we have seen, and I've read in, in, in reading up on this, some people out there say that they always give to God first, uh, at the first of the month, and then they deal with the bills at the house the rest of the month. Do you believe it's okay, or would you even recommend or say, you know what, it's just part of the deal that even if it means a hardship in your house or your family, you should still tithe and give to church and to God first? Well, you know, a lot of people don't give because they think they're going to have less. You know, they think, I don't have enough. If I give, I'll have less. But I believe giving is God's crazy math. And when we learn to be givers, we experience more of God's wisdom, more of God's guidance, more of God's direction, more of God's provisions in our life. So when I first began to give 10%, I was scared to death. I had a shaking hand when I wrote that first check, but I decided, God, you know what, this doesn't make sense to me. I have more month than I have money. But, God, I'm going to begin to honor you with what you've given me. And over the years, I've increased and give far beyond that. But what a joy to learn that practice and to see God work in your life. Well, one last thing to you, um, and people have this question. This is an honest question people have. Is that 10% before or after taxes, Mr. Kluth? <laughs> uh, the question is, gross, gross or net? Uh, when I started, I was too scared to do it off the gross, so I started off the net. I then grew it past the gross, and then I grew it past the financial blessings in my life, and now I give on a six-figure. I give six figures, and I live on five. And so the idea is to excel in the grace and the joy of giving. What a thrill in a person's life giving can be. Well, Mr. Anderson, last thing to you here. Uh, you certainly hear Mr. Kluth. It sounds like he certainly gives uh, a lot to the church. But for folks who are uh, having a real a spiritual uh, and religious debate within them about this, what would your advice be to them this morning? And also, do you think with the New Testament and just over time, we might see tithing start to fade? Well, let's uh, encourage tithing and especially encourage generosity. But don't 
steal from grandpa's prescription fund in order to give 10% to the church. Sometimes there are emergencies and situations that take a priority, like providing for your family. But stick with that guideline. Try to be generous, and 10% is a good guideline, but it's not a legal requirement of the New Testament. All right. Gentlemen, this is a really interesting uh, topic and debate, and we all know some people who certainly uh, want to give and do give to the church, but many stick to that 10%, like I said, religiously. But Mr. Anderson, Mr. Kluth, I appreciate you all spending some time with us on what I know always busy Sundays for you guys, but you all enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, and God bless you. Thank you, TJ. Well, uh, isn't that something? Faces of faith. This is the only segment I get where somebody actually says, God bless you at the end of it. I love it. Well, if you want to explore more about your faith or other faiths, you can go to CNN's Belief blog at CNN.com slash belief. Well, can you believe? Love Talk Radio. You have tuned in to Debt Free Wealth Radio. Trudy Behrman here. Our website is debtfreewealthradio.com. And Debt Free Wealth Radio is a production of TrudyBeerman.com. If you're listening in on your mobile phone, on the web, or through iTunes podcast, welcome. I invite you to come on board as we explore all things money that ultimately leads to empowering those who desire debt-free wealth to delete debt, build wealth, and protect family assets through money education, resources, and opportunities. Let me guide you to debt-free wealth. Today's topic actually starts a brand new series. It's a tithing series, and today's topic is, should tithing remain an Old Testament thing? Why do churches still expect it? Now, as I said, this is a, a series. It's actually meant to be four parts. Today is, should tithing remain an Old Testament thing? And the concept of tithing, giving 10% of the first fruits of your harvest, whatever your harvest may be, originated in the Old Testament. Tithing today is a very hot and heavily debated topic amongst Christians and those who occasionally visit church. Now, this four-part series will join the global debate and not necessarily end with a definitive conclusion, but it's really meant to help participants and the audience become clear about what tithing is, how they really feel about it, and how and if their life and prosperity is impacted by this practice at all. Now, part two will be Does tithing really impact your financial prosperity? Part three will be, should you tithe when you're broke and how? And part four will probably be a showcase of the highlights of the various uh, three shows and maybe help us come to our own personal decision. I also want to say that for 
part two, the next Friday, I actually will be in Jamaica, and I'm not sure if I'll have technical difficulties to to do the show from there. If that's the case, then I'll probably just replay this show today and uh, finish up part uh, two and three, and, and we won't do part four, and you'll just be on your own to make your own decision. But, guys, I just want to point out this conversation uh, could get heated. I'm almost glad I'm on radio. Um, but faith is very personal. So as you participate and listen, I hope you'll be refreshed and confirm your position on this topic. Feel free to put your comments in in the Facebook box below, and if you have the opportunity to call in, I will receive your call gladly. And if you do put a comment in the Facebook box below the show, and each of the show pages has a Facebook box, you may need to scroll below some white space. I may read your comment during the show. All right. So if you're going to call in, the phone number is 323 now, as a Christian and the host of Debt Free Wealth Radio, I cannot help but admit that I came to this topic with a very strong personal opinion on the matter of tithing. However, as I did my preparation for today's show, I really feel the need to step back and evaluate that position. Thank God for Christian families who nurture their children to love the Lord, and thank God for Bible-led fellowships. I grew up in those. However, faith is extremely personal, and when we enter those pearly gates, we will not be judged on the pastor's faith or our parents' faith. I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and as a result, I've read the Bible on my own, and during my personal devotion time, I am nourished Spiritually, However, this topic made me realize as I prepared that even my own Bible reading is still filtered through my personal life experiences. And in preparing for this show, I realized that I needed to review my position on tithing yet again because I believe some of my former very strong position was influenced by my upbringing my churches that I've attended, and preachings from the pulpit. So here at Debt Free Wealth Radio, any topic that has anything to do with money, particularly anything that deletes debt, builds wealth, and protects family assets, is fair game for discussion. And without doubt for the Christian, tithing is at the heart of all three. It is this crazy math that Pastor Brian Kluth mentions in a CNN clip I will play later, where this process of cheerfully tithing and what we believe about the process of tithing influences our relationship with money, what we believe about tapping into that heavenly blessing. There is no way to avoid this topic on Debt Free Wealth Radio, and frankly, I'm surprised it took me a year and a half to discuss it on this show. Now, the trigger that caused this topic to get on the show agenda was a Facebook dialogue where some Christians said in the discussion thread, hey, we have no Levites, so who and what are we funding when we tithe? Can't we just give our money to charity instead? Now, I did put my two cents in on that conversation, but as I read the entire comment thread, and saw the widely varying opinions, which were very hotly debated, 
I exited the conversation because, honestly, I did not want to create potential enemies of my brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is certainly not the intention of this show series either. Now, for the record, tithing preceded the Jewish law because we can see in the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, verses 2 through 6, and it reads, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, God talks here about doing what is right. And I am not going to get into a theological debate as to whether the what that is right was the requirement to give the gift, the amount or the type of the gift, or is the what is right the attitude with which the gift was given. Again, I'm no theologian, and I really think that this is open to lots of interpretations and angles of perception. So, but what I will say is clear is that tithing existed before the written law. So tithing did not originate with the law. It was simply included in the law. And one thing I personally noticed uh, as I've just lived my life is that there are more and more small groups doing Bible study in private home. And for some people, that is their church. The traditional gathering at church buildings is in a transitional state. Many, many churches, you don't have to go very far to see that many have closed their door or are considering closing their doors. Some have merged into fewer but bigger congregations. And then there are the handful of mega churches. For the sake of convenience and adherence to local government codes, congregations have cropped up all over the place for believers to gather in fellowship, receive spiritual nourishment, and as a place to launch ministry. Now, I won't debate whether or not those have become monuments to some pastor's societal position. And I won't debate whether or not the operational budget of churches in general have missed the calling of the original plan of the church. But what I will ask you to do is to look on each organization that you come across independently and non-judgmentally and put the Bible to it as a litmus test. Because without question, some of those churches today are being managed like a Judas, but there are some that are being managed like a Joseph. Now, Paul one of the apostles, was a tent maker by trade. And he did continue to do so. He did continue tent making while he ministered to pay for most of his personal expenses. But I have to tell you, my brother, my my biological brother does this. He is a pastor of a church, but the church is unable to to support him full time. So he has a job, a J-O-B, from which he gets his living salary. But he really sometimes feels that that job is a takeaway from his ministry, and he would probably prefer to pastor that church full-time. But what I do know is he gives 
full-time attention to that church, regardless of the salary that he takes away, because that's where his heart is, that's where his mission field is, and still he gives his 100% to his job. Honestly, that is totally fueled by God. That's all I can say. Now, the original church, the original Christian church, met in small groups that grew and split and grew and split. And that still continues today. Some met by Riverside. Some met in people's homes. The congregation in specific locations with buildings and operational expenses is really not how the Christian church began. And I do have a friend with a very strong opinion that most of the church buildings and church operational budgets have become holding tanks rather than conduits to the point where he feels the waters are getting murky with governmental influence, especially through the 501C, which appears to be a tax gift, but is actually the path through which government has already and will increasingly influence the pulpit. I have another friend who walked out of church because of how the pastor introduced the money collection time. Now, I wasn't there, and I won't rehash a third-party ramble. However, she did take offense to whatever it is he said. Tithing, gifts, and offerings can be dividing lines within Christendom. So I will try to reduce any sense of appearing judgmental on this show or conclusive as we take a look at this, at this topic. But if you do listen and feel that I am judgmental and conclusive, forgive me. I am human. And I do have my own thoughts on this, although I must admit that in preparing for this, many of my former strongholds are under review. I may not end up changing my opinion, but like you, what I hope is that it's the goal to walk away from this session, confirming your position and having solid reasons if you do decide to change it. I'm going to play an audio clip for you. It was aired on April 11th. It's a video from CNN, but I'm airing the audio um, that I stripped out from the video. And the title was, Is Tithing Optional for Christians? I think you will be surprised at the content of the clip, especially when you consider the credentials of the experts being interviewed. Now, this video created a wave of responses online, and after I air that clip, I will read some of those posts to you. So hold on one second. It's seven minutes long. Well, if you are heading off to church this morning, here is something for you to think about. Many Christians believe strongly in tithing. That's giving, oftentimes, at least 10% of your income to the church. But a new survey says the majority of evangelical leaders believe that tithing is not required by the Bible. The survey was conducted by the National Association of Evangelicals and among its 100-member board of directors. And you see here that 58% believe tithing is not required. 42% believe the Bible does require church members to do so. You can imagine this survey created a bit of a stir. So joining us this morning, Leith Anderson, who's president of the National Association of Evangelicals. There he is. He's with the group that conducted that so survey. He's also senior pastor of Whitdale Church. That's in Minnesota. Sir, good morning to you. And also joining us, Brian Kluth. He's also a pastor and strong believer in tithing. He's also written a best-selling book, A 40-Day Spiritual Journey to a More Generous Life. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here. Uh, Mr. Anderson, let me start with you. What does the Bible 
say about tithing? Well, in the Old Testament, tithing was frequent and it was popular. It was actually required. But in the New Testament, there really isn't much of any mention at all about tithing. And it's the New Testament that is the primary giving guide for modern-day Christians. So it sounds like if we go by that, then tithing necessarily is not required by the Bible. Am I hearing you correctly? Well, the key word there is required. Mm. Actually, uh, 95% of those that responded to our survey said that they at least tithe. They give 10% or more. So <clears throat> they do tithe, even though they think that it's not a requirement. All right, let's uh, put up for our viewers here a uh, particular scripture. Uh, this one comes from Malachi. I'm going to read it here as I, I get ready to come to you here, Mr. Kluth. And it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Now, you are a strong believer, Mr. Kluth, in, uh, in tithing. So how much would you say should one give to the church? Well, the reality for me is I've just discovered that in our society, you know, giving has been going down for 40 years. And so I just think there's a, we're at a time when people need to be called to giving 10% or more of their income to God's work. And I believe that's the church and ministries, charities, and the needy. All right. And I guess a lot of people say 10%. But can people give of the church and tithe in ways that aren't monetary? Does it also count if you give of your time in some way? Well, the reality is, is we're supposed to be giving our time, our talent, our treasure. But I don't really think that you can separate out the whole idea of giving to God and not do it financially. Uh, people do give their time, and that's so important. But when they, when they don't give of their income and their finances and their financial blessings, I think they miss out. And I think they are missing what God would really have for them. Now, Mr. Anderson, let me bring you. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it there because of time for the show. So, guys, um, you know, the law is laid out in Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 29, and it does start out saying be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. And, and let me hop over to new, the New Testament and take a look at Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. And as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave out of their gifts of their wealth, but she, gave, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. The widow put in all she had to live on, guys. This is not 10%. Is there a change here that we should look more closely at? The Bible never contradicts itself. And for me, I need biblical examples. Otherwise, too much is left to theological interpretation. And I do not discount the Jewish origins of my Christian faith. And as that example goes, Jesus in his humanity was a Jew, lived as a Jew, and celebrated the Passover and so forth. Christian, Gentile Christians, for the most part, are New Testament Christians. And there are many new Christians who do not even read the Old Testament or incorrectly believe it is totally outdated. The Bible is not split into outdated and new religion. And some things of the Old Testament are still, while most of them are fulfilled, some of the end times, as outlined in the book of Daniel, are still yet to happen. However, with the New Testament, some new things were introduced. Part of the ritual of worship in the Old Testament included the tithe and the sacrifice and the way we approached God. There's no debate amongst Christians that at least two of these definitely changed with the death of Jesus. 
Jesus was the ultimate and final sacrifice, and that is why we no longer slaughter sacrificial lambs on an altar to request forgiveness. And in the same token, Christians no longer need a high priest tethered to some string with bells to enter the Holy of Holies on special occasions to pray for both his and our forgiveness. So let me ask you again, with the New Testament, did tithing change too? Now, Messianic Jews in 2013 still follow the Jewish traditions as the apostles would have. Very Jewish in their tradition, but Messianic Jews are believers in salvation and Jesus. And when Peter went out among the Gentiles, the debate among the apostles, who remember were all Jews, was what of the Jewish tradition was being forced on the Gentiles, such as circumcision of the flesh versus what was just part of being Christian, such as circumcision of the heart. So within the movement of the faith going into the world from the Jews to the Gentiles, there were some ritualistic compromises made. Now, no, Romans 2 verse 29 says, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. I don't take these compromises in the movement from law to love lightly. These compromises as determined by the leaders of the first New Christian Church, or the way, as it was called back then, were heavily debated amongst themselves, and their decisions were rendered with incredible power. Remember, don't they take these changes simply as a whim of man. Remember Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16:19, "I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Okay, so let's not forget that. Now, the ERV version of Romans 2.29, I'm going to read it again from the ERV version, and it says, A true Jew is one who is a Jew inside. True circumcision is done in the heart. It is done by the Spirit, not by the written law. And anyone who is circumcised in the, in the heart by the Spirit gets praise from God, not from people. What is clear to me here, guys, is that the written law on stone tablets is not what the Christian operates from, but the law that's written on our hearts, such as declared in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, and this is the NIV version, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, which is the, the ten percent, without neglecting the former. You should have practiced the latter, sorry, which is the justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, which is a tenth. So I still do not interpret tithing as something to be neglected. Either you're doing it because of the law written on stone tablets, or you're being prompted by the law written on your hearts. If Jesus himself warns us not to ignore the law, but to operate at the standard higher than the law, then I'm inclined to think that tithing will be naturally like that everlasting water being prompted by the heart and not by the law. When we do things from a place of love rather than the law, we tend to do them with more joy. For example, if you gave your college graduate $1,000 versus paying $1,000 in taxes, 
One is done in love and the other is done in law. If tithing feels like law to you, then you will be tithing with the same attitude that you pay your taxes. And Jesus did remind us to render unto Caesar what was Caesar's and unto God what was God. So what is legal and what is, you know, the, the tithe is still legally and, and lovingly. I think, mandated, and that, that's me speaking, I was truly speaking. But since we Christians are no longer under the law, if you as a Christian don't feel prompted to do this willingly, then I am inclined to think that your church should not be sending you any letters demanding that you send the tithe. But again, I'm not a theologian, and that's just my opinion. So the real question is, are you living under the law written on stone or the law written on your heart. Either way, tithing would and should happen, I think. And for me, I approach tithing like Abel, with an outpouring of love and an offering from the top and of the best. Or are you approaching it like like Cain, with a motive for recognition, and because you didn't get the recognition, you're upset? Or like those hypocrites that Jesus admonished in Matthew 23, 23? Now, the original new church, as you know, when once the apostles went out and started to form the way, the new church, Acts 4, 32 verse, Acts 4, verses 32 to 37 is a picture of the new gathering of the church. And Peter, Peter was very involved in that, and that reads, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them. There were no needy persons among them. From, for, from time to time, those who owned land or, or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was, a, it was distributed to anyone who had need. So is this the example of how tithing should be today? You know, in this example here, this biblical example of the first church, first Christian church, there really is no reference to 10%. This was more in keeping with the example that of the that Jesus gave of the widow. That, like I mentioned earlier in Luke 21 verses 1 through 4 where I, you know, where she put in all she had. The law was 10%. It was legalistic and it was measured. The new Christian church was about giving cheerfully, even over and above. This woman put in all she had. The first set of Christians put in all they had. This was over and above the law. It was a higher standard than the law. And the law of itself is very difficult to live by. But when we have Jesus, we can exceed that law and we don't have to follow something written on stone. It is written on our hearts. So in essence, they were not forgetting the ladder. The new church was not forgetting the ladder, which was the law. But they, the new church, as described here in, uh, in Acts, 20, Acts chapter 4, verses 32-37, they were focused on what Jesus said was the more important matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, according to, the, to Empty Tomb, Inc., they conducted a study focused on mainline denominations, which also includes some evangelical and Protestant bodies, and they did an analysis of church tithing and giving patterns from 1968 to 2009. And as uh, Pastor Clouse said earlier, tithing to the churches has reached its lowest level in the last 41 years. And 
the smaller churches are receiving a smaller portion of funds, but it is still serving the needy outside of the congregation. It truly is interesting that the survey conducted by the National Association of Evangelicals, evangelicals, now this is not the hard and fast churches like Baptists and Anglican, these are evangelicals. Some of them may come out of those churches, but they're evangelicals. So they're not necessarily going by, uh, you know, code of, you know, Southern Baptists or Pentecost or whatever. The National Association of Evangelicals has a 100-member board of directors, and as you heard in that CNN clip, 42% of the leaders still believe that the Bible tithing is a requirement but 58% do not. They are tithing, but they're tithing over and above. They're not looking at the 58% still believe in tithing. They just don't believe it as being ritualistic, legalistic. And change is definitely happening. Within congregation, leadership is changing. The mandate to tithing is, is being more and more presented as optional even within church walls, giving is less than it was. So, guys, join me next week on Debt Free Wealth Radio as we continue this series. Remember, I will be in Jamaica, and if I have any technical difficulties, then I'll just probably replay this show. But part two is going to be, does tithing really impact your financial prosperity? Part three is, should you tithe when you're broke and how? And if I do manage to get through next week, then we will have a part four, which basically wraps up the series and helps us come to our own decision. So this conversation, like I said, could get heated. Remember, faith is personal. And if you want to contribute to this, please call in in the other shows and leave your comments at the base of the show page, on the, and I will read them, I promise. Now, remember, guys, I've also written a book, The Bible on Business. It is available, available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, on your iBooks. It's in print form available, or it's also available as an e-book. And I invite you to connect with me on Facebook. That link is here on the Debt-Free Wealth Radio show page, or you can go over to TrudyBeerman.com. You know, and at Debt Free Wealth Academy, where we're helping working age adults and network marketers delete debt, build wealth, and protect family assets. Guys, if you're making money, we want to help you protect it. That's what we want to do. So did we deliver value to you today? I hope you will give us some love in return. Click the like button for our show, follow our show, and if you have a product, service, or opportunity that helps others delete that build wealth and protect family assets and follow our show, send us a request to be a guest, and we'll discuss how we can make that happen for you. Thank you very much for joining me today. Trudy Behrman here. 